because I was relentless in my pursuit of, you know, being boundaried and capacity or have, working within my capacity as a person, um, that was perceived as a threat to someone's leadership capability. And so instead of addressing the real issues, it was easier to make me the problem and to make me go away. And that's what happened. You're listening to the Pocket Pulpit Podcast with Sarah Kinzer and Hector Martinez, part of the TCD Podcast Network. Hey, everyone. Welcome once again to Pocket Pulpit. It's your co-host, Hector, and I'm here with my co-host, Sarah. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. And today we have friend of the show, Janae. I already messed that up. Janai Allman. Yep. Hey, Janai. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, it's so good to have you on. Yeah, we're excited to, to have you on. Well, how's everyone's Friday morning going? What's well, my Friday morning? So, <laughs> well, I'm getting um, settled back from the jet lag of going to Seattle. So, I've I've got dishes running and laundry running and that sort of stuff. Same. Same. I am. I am. I think ignoring my responsibilities to have fun with you guys. Excellent. <laughs> the best kind. I know. I've got like a mountain of laundry that I'm going to ignore for a little bit longer. Hey, yeah. listen, if you don't have a mountain of laundry in your life, are you doing life right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it never ends. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Well, I'm excited to be, to be back doing the show and, and just continuing to explore social media and, and ministry and the way that those two intersect. And um, I think this is, yeah, I, I was kind of thinking this morning, um, you know, at the time of recording, we've t- taken a little bit of a break and, Sarah and I, we, we just, we've been able to meet in person and that's been exciting. Uh, but we just, we took a break from recording and having these conversations. And uh, I think that they're, yeah, just as I was reflecting on online ministry, social media ministry, um, I'm just excited to, to continue these conversations. I'm excited to have a conversation with you today, Janai. Um Man, that was right on the border. I am so sorry. I'm gonna have to just like dub it the entire time. That's totally uh, fine. I've gotten, <laughs> I've gotten. I mean, Janai is how you say it, but then I've gotten Janae, Gina, Jenny. I've gotten one Janae once, um, oh and I just, no. I yeah, I ran with it. I was like, okay. Um, and usually at every single coffee shop I go to, I just say Jen. Because yeah. I I just want to know that that coffee is mine. And so, yeah. Um, but it is Janai. Janai yeah. Almond. Janai. Janai, Janai. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm giving you freedom right now in this episode. And I will not edit it out. You just cut right in and tell me I'm wrong. I'm like, Janai. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, hey. Um, yeah, let, let's just, let's get started with, uh, with the show. This is, I'm rusty. I don't know if you guys can tell. I'm rusty. No, it's okay. I mean, if, if if you're coming off of a break, like you're kind of getting back into the swing of things, but I will say like, I know that this is a labor and a task and a work that you have to do on your part, but I hope that our conversation is also like life-giving for you. Like if I have something life-giving to extend to you guys, I hope I extend it. And I hope that like you feel cared for and ministered to just in this fun conversation today. Girl, it is assured. Oh, okay, yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, these are, yeah. Uh, okay, so, uh, Janai, let, let's talk a little bit about who you are and, and even, like, 
why we're interested in having a conversation with you. So um, you're a writer, and I hear you're currently writing on a book. Yeah. You're working on a book, writing mm-hmm. a book. Um, but also you're you're writing a blog in a newsletter called Letters for the Wilderness. Yes. Which offer healing and wholeness for those moving forward with hope. Mm-hmm. You're also the host of the Wilderness Forum, which is a, a community for people who've been hurt by their spiritual community. Right. And, and I know that's a lot, and I hope that we get to unpack all of that. Um, it's just a very, yeah, um, I'm very interested to unpack that. Yeah. Yeah. So b- before we get into like all of that, though, we want to know who are you, like who's your people, what's your world, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Well, I'll kind of give you like a, Um, I feel like, you know, our stories, if I'm not careful, I'll give you the unabridged count of of Monte Cristo version. (laughs) And I really just want to give you the cliff notes. So, um, I, uh, I'm a born and raised Texan have been in Texas my entire life. Um, did not grow up in the church. So I grew up in a home that was my dad actually grew up in the church. And and then when he came to adulthood, he had left the church. He has his own story of hurt and harm. And so whenever he was raising me and my brother, that was not a part of our story. Um, and he married my mom who is a half Philip or she's Filipina. So I'm half Filipina. And so I grew up in the Texas South, which is just, you know, loaded with Baptist churches. I mean, churches on every corner, it seemed like in my hometown, but I grew up in the sticks, just being a wild child, like popping firecrackers at random times of the year, just doing my own thing on Sunday mornings. But I did come to faith when I was 17. Um, And fast forward, I got married to my high school sweetheart when I was 20. And then like a year later, we got involved like in the church planting movement, the reformed church planting movement. And from 2021 to um, the time whenever I became, or whenever I turned 32, we were in that movement for a solid decade plus and we left it. And when we left it, it, I mean, our story really went sideways when we left. Um, We were sold out for the mission and vision of, you know, planting churches. We, We did move from our small town to the Houston area. And that's where I am based today. And and when the story went sideways and whenever I left our, our former faith community, our church, it was right at the onset of the, the first initial lockdowns in March of 2020. And so I feel like as I was being spiritually and personally shaken, I feel like the world globally was being shaken. And so um, everything was going to be sh- like shaken up. And so eventually over the course of time and just through healing, I realized a lot of what I experienced. Some of it was spiritual abuse. Some of it was just a bad environment, but some of it was uh, toxic and harmful. Um, And I've had to process and learn, you know, how do I move forward? And um, in some instances, it was almost easier to walk away. Um, I almost want, I did want to walk away several times, but I knew, I knew what I, was raised in. And I knew that what I had found as a teenager was good, that there was something in there with my faith, with Jesus, that was good. And that was still true. I just had to figure out how to sift the mess out of that and find that the, the gold again. Um, I felt like it, it had been shrouded with all of these other layers of, um, evangelical culture that just missed the point of, of the person and work of Christ. And so, 
I, it took a while for me to get back there. And what I do remember is, and I've known this for a long time. I'm such a, a people person. I don't know if you guys do the Enneagram, but I'm an Enneagram too. Like I love loving people. I, um, and that comes from like a, you know, I hope I'm loved too, but I really do love getting to know people and getting to know their stories. And so there was always this intrinsic part of me that thought like, I am, I, there's something I want to be in ministry. And I, cause I feel like that's just a part of who I am. But whenever I lost my job, I was on church staff. I lost my job and I lost my community. I thought, well, how do you do ministry when you've lost it all? Um, and so I started writing, um, online just as a way to process and process kind of what I was going through and as an effort toward healing. And then I realized that my words, or I could piece together my words in such a way that they weren't just for me, that they were for other people as well. And so I've kind of been in that place for a solid year of just piecing together words and offering them to people as gifts of hope uh, for those who are having a very hard time finding hope. And that's kind of in a nutshell where I am today, just offering hope in healing in wholeness in Christ to people who need it. So you are, I know I've seen you a lot on Instagram, but what platforms are you on and what's your preferred platform? Yeah, I'm on Instagram. I've been on Instagram, actually Instagram and Twitter. I've been on, I guess, since like early days and talking like two, 2009, 2011. Um, my handle is at Janai Amen, and I prefer Instagram, I think, I think that's kind of like my social media home. And that's where I, I think I'm also, I'm also a visual person. So I like being able to, uh, put together graphics and occasionally draw something and illustrate something and, um, put that together in terms of how I'm trying to communicate a message. So I really like the visual nature of Instagram. Um, Twitter, I feel like I do different things with, I kind of just throw out like little lines that I think of that kind of resonate with people, or I'll just throw out something silly and goofy. Um, I think that's where it's kind of more off the top of my head, but I, I like connecting. It's almost like a different crowd that I connect with on Twitter. And I really like connecting with them on, in both spheres. So, um, Instagram is kind of like my, my, my digital dining table and Twitter is just kind of like a, it's like the game room. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That's good. So last last time we recorded, we had Natalie Runyon from who is the founder of Raise to Stay on. And there are parts of I think your y'all's hearts that are like very similar. And there's about what you're passionate about and what you are um, you know, what what hurts your heart and what gives you hope. I think are probably pretty similar. And so there's some questions that we want to ask you that we did discuss with Natalie, but we want to hear, we can see that when she, where she's turned in one direction, you seem to be turned in another. And I would just, we just want to hear how it starts in the same place, how it expresses itself different, differently. Yeah. Um, and so we talked a little bit with her. She likes the word, uh, was it unraveling or untangling? I think it was untangling. Yeah. Untangling. And I've seen you use the word online deconstruction. And we know that that is a, that's a word that gets people all up in arms and whatever, but can you just tell us what, what do you hear when you hear the word deconstruction? Um, I, I mean, it's a, an intentional taking apart to kind of get back down to the raw materials of the thing. I actually don't 
identify with the word deconstruction as much as I would. Other people do. I think that there are other people who resonate with my story, who see what I'm posting and they innately believe that like I am a deconstructionist, which that is, I I think so to other people, I, I might be by their very own definitions. Really, I believe that um, I'm untangling what had happened, that like Jesus and his message and his in his work to do within the body of Christ was tangled up with something. And I think I am untangling or unraveling is a good word as well. Um, but I know that like I'm my heart is moving forward. And I don't think in moving forward, you can just sit in only the raw materials. You have to build something up again. And so I am intentionally, I, I have deconstructed in some ways. I've I've deconstructed what I'm what I've walked away from. And there are certain elements of my former um, faith community that I have walked away from. But there is some something and someone that I'm working toward. And so I think I am building a life towards something. Um, so I in in part I do de- identify with deconstruction and getting back down to the raw materials of faith, but I do think that we're supposed to build up into something. Um, and I'm hoping that I build and whatever I build is helping to build up the kingdom of God. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so good. Um, well, and you, we've talked a little bit about it and and I do want to be fair. Like I know that this conversation may end up going places as we're talking about church hurt and deconstruction and unraveling. Um, and so I just want to take a, a second just to say like, this episode, like the remainder of this episode might may take a turn where you're going to have to take, you know, if you're listening, you may have to take some, some moments away. And so we just want to give fair warning with that. Um, but Janae, Janai, hmm. Janai, you got it. You, um, I, I, I want to hear a little bit because you gave us the cliff notes and mm-hmm. you, you talked about moving towards something, but in order to move towards something, you have to move away from. And so, um, with whatever comfort level you are, would would you share a little bit about like, what is it that you're moving from? And then what is it that you're moving towards? And what are some of those things that you're talking about unraveling from? Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like in my former community of faith, there was a lot of gatekeeping in terms of who belongs, like what does belonging mean? And I don't think that this is a part of the general conversation in terms of like American Christian culture about belonging. Um, I think it is the undercurrent of most of our conversations, but people aren't going to acknowledge that like belonging is that undercurrent. Um, But we, in American evangelical culture, there's a lot of like litmus tests that we execute in terms of, you know, who is faithful and who's not faithful and who's worthy and who can come to the table. And in the faith community that I was a part of, the emphasis really was on kind of intellectual ascent and kind of falling in line to a certain, certain principles, certain like secondhand and or secondary and tertiary issues that I really think should have remained secondary and tertiary, but they became primary. Um, And I realized that the metric that we were measuring people against on, you know, on whether or not they were complementarian or egalitarian, or do you have women in the pulpit or, you know, do you believe in pedo baptism or credo baptism? Like all of these, like we got in the weeds of like 
these beautiful and true theological things that we should wrestle with, but the wrestle and the determination of faith and faithfulness was about how much you could engage in that particular struggle and conflict and less about like just your personhood and belonging and, um, you know, what you bring to the table just as a human being who can laugh rather than, um, I think in some of the instances that I saw on my church staff, it it was like, well, what are you, how can we utilize your gifts or how can we, and I want my gifts to be utilized. But at some point I thought these are being taken, like they're being extracted from me separate from my worth and worthiness and God and my personhood, I was being used. And so I think in our talks about belonging, like we all bear the Imago day of God and we all have this intrinsic call to exercise dominion in the kingdom of God. But what we're doing is we're extracting people's utility away from them and just using them. It it becomes less about the person or the man and the woman and more about the machine. And I feel, I felt like over the course of time, I feel like I'm a part of the machine and I'm just being worn out. And once I'm worn out, they'll, they'll take me out and they'll replace me with something, something or someone else. And they did. I got worn out. And so my, my main issue with, um, for those that don't know my story, whenever I was working on church staff, it was a dream opportunity. I was a part of that church for eight years before I accepted a position on staff. Actually, I helped my husband and I helped plant the church. You can, I actually write under my first and my middle name, because if you Google my first and my last name in Houston church, you, my name comes up on the documents that incorporate, like formed the the church. And so we were a part of that church for a very long time. We loved it. And I accepted this position on staff um, at a really pivotal moment in my life where kind of things were changing. And I thought, this is the direction I want to go in. I want to, I want these worlds to overlap. I want these circles of my life to overlap and I want to serve the local church. And I, I loved it. But from day one, there was conflict. Day one started with the Bible study where women were yelled at. And then, you know, day, uh, the last day was me being terminated. And the, I, I was never really given a reason for the termination and never signed an NDA either. They didn't ask me to sign an NDA, but I was never given a reason for the termination. But it was because that over the course of time, I was advocating for capacity and boundaries within my position. And because I was relentless in my pursuit of, you know, being boundaried and capacity or working within my capacity as a person, um, that was perceived as a threat to someone's leadership capability. And so instead of addressing the real issues, it was easier to make me the problem and to make me go away. And that's what happened. And I believed, I really believed I was the problem for so long. And again, this is March, 2020. We left our church in May, 2020. And I really sat in shame for so many months until for whatever reason in God's providence, books, like four books came out that year about narcissism in the church, a church called Tove, redeeming power and something's not right. And I don't know if God knew that I needed those books that year, like immediately. I mean, it was really like providential and I read them and I realized, oh my gosh, this is exactly what happened to me. And not only that, but I was, my undergrad, my, my bachelor's is in behavioral science and behavioral health and in trauma. And so I 
for whatever reason, as I was studying, like I couldn't put together that I was experiencing instances of spiritual abuse or religious trauma, even though I had studied and like written papers on something similar in, you know, toxic and dysfunctional environments and group dynamics. I just couldn't put, I didn't put the, the pieces together until like these books came out and they were really manna for me, um, in a very, very desert season of being alone and isolated. And so that is kind of, that is a more exploded version if my story of my story. But uh, yeah, if you have uh, questions about specifics, I'm always glad to elaborate a little bit more because I know it's it's really me trying to condense 11 years of history into a 10 minute little spiel. And I really just can't convey enough like how hard and lonely. And it, it was almost like having a limb cut off, just learning to live again without this big piece of support without my, uh, of my life just gone. Um, but yeah, that is, that is a more exploded version of the story. That's still very summarized. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. Um, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. You talked about like being in the middle of it and not being able to recognize it, even though you studied it. Now, out of it, and as you've reflected, like, do you have thoughts on, like, why that is? Because I I would, at least from stories I've read, like, that's actually very common for people not to realize, like, they're in the middle of that. And so, yeah, I'm just curious on what your thoughts as you've reflected, like, why that might be. Um, I I think that there are a uh, a few things that contributed to that. I think one is, um, I mentioned before, I wasn't raised in the church. And not that people who are raised in the church don't have their own trauma, but I did have, I I do and am currently working through like just childhood trauma that I had to weather Um, instances of, you know, just seeing things that you shouldn't have to see or experience as a kid and really girding myself to essentially take care of myself. And whenever you've worked through or endured childhood trauma, you one, get really good at hiding it to other people. I, I I go back and look at photos of me as a little kid and I'm like, wow, that's a sweet little kid, but no one knows like what she's seeing in her personal life. And she's really, she became a really good hider. Like I became a really good hider. Um, and I think that's a part of all of our stories. Like that's a part of the Genesis story. Like as soon as shame entered the conversation, Adam and Eve started hiding. Like, I think hiding is a part of what we do. Um, so I, I think that was a part of it. I think too, is I was set up for wanting belonging. I, I've mentioned before, like I would, I'm an Enneagram too. I want to be a part of like the self-sacrificial, um, you know, loving everyone, loving the community, loving our family of faith. I was, I mean, I really feel like I have been molded and shaped by God in my mother's womb to be a part of that. And I think that was leveraged against me. I think, um, I was never trained to see my inherent worth and instead I was used. And, and the thing is, is I wanted to be used. So I think there were definitely aspects of like rose colored glasses in the scenario as well. And it's hard to discern that whenever you're, um, whenever you're, trying to navigate what it is to be a part of the family of faith. I also think I was really young. I was 20 
or 21, whenever we entered the church planting movement. And I had been um, in, I had been a believer for, you know, three or four years at that point. Um, Not to say that I didn't have discernment, but I hadn't really grown in my level of discernment yet. And no one was equipping me to be discerned about these things because no one was talking about about it. Um, When you don't talk about abuse in the church, you're not looking for it. And so um, there's that. But also I think the third element is, is like, um, so I live in Houston. Houston is like Hurricane Valley in many, like, instances we just experience storm after storm and it can be very tiring and wearing um and at least with a hurricane though we've got the technology to forecast hey the hurt we might be in this hurricane's path and so you know physically we can prepare ourselves for that i think spiritual abuse is like a hurricane except we have no forecast system we have no technology to see it coming we have no language to determine like how do we discern this because we're not training people to be discerning of their leaders and to be discerning of people in power and so there is no forecast system and so because it's not a physical storm it just creeps into our lives and the turbulence starts very very small like the waves are very small and then they get bigger and then they get bigger and whenever you've lived in it for years it just becomes normal And whenever you're in the middle, I don't know if you've ever watched, it's actually pretty, um, I mean, it's, it's not funny, but it is a little bit funny to watch these meteorologists, like the meteorologist in the, the station is talking about the storm very like articulately he's naming it. He's talking about the winds. And then he says, we're going to throw it over to our guy in the field. Who's in the middle of the hurricane. And he can like barely talk into the microphone. He's usually like bracing himself himself against the wind. There's stuff flying around. Like when you're in the middle of the storm, it's very hard to name it. You can't like, you can't name it when you're in the middle of it. You're just trying to survive. And so after we left our church, I was just trying to deal with the fallout of the storm. Like with any hurricane, it's it's probably done some wind damage. You've got to pick up trash. You've got to like, you know, triage your physical space. I had to triage my soul after we left our church. I had to figure out what that meant. And so I I wasn't really ready to name anything. I just had to take care of the wounds. And so when the wounds were a bit bandaged and they were wrapped and I was further from the storm and I was less, it was less turbulent and the waters stilled, I could actually name some of the things that had happened. And I thought, yeah, that was groupthink. Yeah they actually, that's self-protection. That's, that's, um, impression management tactics. Um, yeah, this was narcissism and I I could name some of those things whenever I got further out from it. So I I don't at all blame people for not leaving immediately when they see issues. Cause when you're in the storm and it's normal, it just feels normal. It takes a lot of time to both heal and to find the language to be able to put language to that experience. I imagine, so I'm not like, I am not an Enneagram expert by any means, um, but I would imagine if like your, your nature is a, a identifiable as a helper, you know, that you would just respond to difficulty in that manner. And so you just start helping and you start giving, and you give, and you give, and you give more. Um, and you, and when you see that the way that you are, um, 
responding naturally just out of who you are is not solving the problem. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like, well, it's because there's a problem. It feels like it's because there's a problem with me. Yes. I'm trying to act like myself. And, and if I act like myself and who God created me to be, then this should solve things. Mm -hmm. But, and so you turn on yourself and you say, what can I do differently? What can I change? I think about like, um, I mean, I don't, again, I'm not an Enneagram expert, but I do. I've taken the quiz enough times to know that like I'm an eight and nothing else. Oh, I you know? love that. <laughs> and so like, it would be my nature to be like, I will identify the problem and then I will, you know, advance upon the problem and defeat the problem. Um, and that's not always, that doesn't always work. And, no. um, and so one of the things that I've had to learn when I feel like you, you talk about capacity and I have the tendency to think that I have endless capacity. Mm-hmm. Like I am, do you know how capable and um, smart I am? I am just so capable and smart and can do just about anything except for then I can't. And um, because I've already declared it to be so that I can, it's yeah. really hard for me to say, uh, I might've been wrong. <laughs> and, yeah. and, um, and so like one thing that I've had to um, work through throughout the years is getting to the point faster and ahead of the, ahead of the storms that like, um, I'm going to need, I'm going to need other people and I'm going to need help. Yeah. Um, and so like when I act out of my nature and just come to the fact that I, I am like, I am one person it's not a failure upon my part when I can't overcome every single challenge that comes my way. It's not a, Mm-mm. it's not a failure on my part. It is um, just because I'm a finite being. Yeah. Oh, and absolutely. The challenges are big and the problems are big. Yeah. yeah. It's our arrogance and our pride that makes us think we can fix the system. And that's why um, I, I've learned it, it was really a lack of boundaries. Like we don't know what our boundaries are. Um, that is a pretty general thing. Everyone struggles with boundaries to some degree. If you're living with some amount of trauma, and I think everyone everywhere is living with some amount of trauma, maybe not like big T trauma everywhere all the time, um, but everyone's living with some amount of it. One trauma response is to defy your boundaries and to be unboundaried as a person. And so not only... Um, whenever our boundaries are crossed, it's not only somebody coming on our side and crossing the boundary and trying to gain more access to us normally. And in my, in my situation, it was me often crossing a boundary and not accepting my limitations. And I think if you want people to respect your own boundaries, you have to start acknowledging and respecting your own limitations. Like I am only so much of a person and I can only interact with you know, like this small handful of people and be known by this small handful of people. Yeah, it really is. uh, It's my pride and my arrogance that always led me to believe, well, if I just try harder, or if I just talk more, or if I just assert myself a little bit more, I'll fix the system, they will hear me. And they will respond appropriately. And what I didn't know is that I was constantly crossing my own boundaries. And I was I was and in, in crossing my boundaries and defying that those limits, 
um, I was articulating, I'm not trusting God in this situation. And I'm not trusting that his sovereignty will, will help foster healing. I thought the healing of the entire system really, um, was shouldered by me. And it was, it really was that I didn't acknowledge that the Lord had total sovereignty over the situation. And now, now I'm growing to acknowledge that a bit more. So leaving is like hard, like hard, hard. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there's going to be people listening to this today who are in situations that are absolutely spiritual abuse, absolutely wrong. And I'm not talking about like situations where they disagree with some other people at church, maybe about carpets or like even like politics or whatever, but like the leadership that they are under is controlling and unhealthy and they've tried to extend grace and they've tried to make changes in themselves and changes in the system. And it's just not working and they are ready to leave, but leaving has real consequences. Just, um, just like it does leaving any abusive relationship. So when you find a person in that position, what wisdom do you offer? How can they leave an unhealthy, unsafe community in a safe and healthy way? I I think number one is, I mean, it, it does start with acknowledging your boundaries, like, and acknowledging you might not be able, like, you might not have what the church needs in this moment to fix anything. And fixing the church is not on like the shoulders of wounded people. Like if you're actively in like being harmed and hurt, or if you are actively serving under abusive leaders within a church, it is not your responsibility to fix it. It is your responsibility to make sure that you're safe and you're okay. Like honoring the Imago Dei and the image of God in every single face means honoring that in, in your own, yourself as well. So you can't control what they're doing, but you can control what you do. So honor yourself and make sure you're safe. That would, I mean, that is really step one. Um, like you said, with any other abusive relationship, I mean, this is a part of, you know, any of those, and this is just a content warning for domestic violence, but any, any sort of um, domestic violence situation, we, we have read so many case studies. I mean, there's just articles all over the internet where you read that it's often really, really hard for people who are actively in abusive relationships to leave. And I think that this is for so many reasons, but there's been some amount of dependence that's been cultivated where our identity is intrinsically woven in with the abusive person or the abusive system. And so we're asking them to leave. It's not just a matter of removing ourselves geographically. We're actually asking someone to change an aspect of their identity or where their identity is wrapped up. And so we have to be very, very tender with that. And that's why I think in so many instances where where you're trying to help someone out of an abusive relationship, like clinically, and I'm not a clinician, but um, a lot of times you just have them map out a safety plan. Like this is what you need for your safety. You, you make it less about like the relationship and more about the personhood. And so, but the undercurrent of the conversation is their identity. Like their identity really is wrapped up within this one location, this one group of people. And so you're not just asking them to leave a situation, but you're asking them to leave a piece of themselves behind. And that's really, really hard. And you've got to make, you've got to grieve that. I think anyone, I've actually been contacted by several people from our former church about like, 
um, I've left and I absolutely believe that leaving was the right decision, but why do I feel so bad? And that's grief. Like you've got to grieve that you left something behind and it was a big part of you. You left and you saw an aspect of home of what the new heavens and the new earth should have been. Like you saw a, a slice of that and then you saw it go south and you're making the decision to walk away, but you still grieve that slice of the new heaven and the new earth that like the potential there, what could have been, you grieve that. And so um, I want to tell people like grieve, like grieve what you're losing. And it, and it, some people might think it's, it's not that big of a deal. Like they minimize themselves. They minimize their own stories. They minimize their own experiences because we think, well, in comparison, this pain doesn't at all compare to someone who's lost like an actual person. And yeah, that pain is very valid, but I want to validate their pain as well. This is not a pain competition. You have to grieve what you're losing and loss is defined in any number of ways, but a part of what you're leaving is a part of your identity. And the only way to heal that is to find that piece of your identity back in Jesus again. And that is just going to take so much time. It's going to take a lot of time. Um, I will also say, don't shame yourself for not leaving immediately. Like, I don't want anyone to feel shame for thinking I should have left sooner. Like you just need to map out your own safety. And, um, and if you have wise and discerning people that in your life that you can lean on, like go to those people. Um, even if it's someone who's not at all involved in the faith, even if you have a wise neighbor or some like, you know, a, a wise uncle, like go to someone if, if you have that person. And if you don't, um, I think there are, I, I think there are even resources and people on Twitter who I, whose voices I lean on. And I've, I mean, that was a part of like my journey and my experiences. I saw people actually talking about it and I thought this is, this is the alarm system. This is the technology that we needed to forecast the storm. So, um, I would say, don't shame yourself, be gentle with yourself and, um, just map out what you can do and what you can do is, you know, determine your own safety and name things for yourself and be gentle with yourself. That is the hardest part though. That is the, the absolute hardest part is not being hard on oneself. Yeah. Well, and even <clears throat> just as you were speaking about, like you're leaving a part of your identity is kind of how, how those of us on the outside of someone leaving and someone getting out, coming around them and realizing that like, yeah, you, they may change. They may not be the person that you knew them to be in that environment and context. And to just treat that with, with gentleness and tenderness that like their, their person, like they may be a new person um, as they're, they're finding out what it means to be outside of that, that context, that community. Yeah. Uh, You're growing and like, it's, it might be, if you've prayed for wisdom, this might be the wisdom you've prayed for. And unfortunately for most of us, it's the wisdom that we didn't want. Like I, I, I've told other people, this is the wisdom I did not want. I wanted other wisdom and, um, but I prayed for it and this is what I got. This is the lot that I was given. And so all I can do now is be faithful in that. That's good. Okay. So 
So with all the, the, the trouble the church has now, and you know, we've talked through some of those examples and there are examples that we could throw out. We could spend a whole hour just talking about examples. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm breaking down right. every single example. Yeah. But, but we're curious because, you know, the show really is about like exploring social media, digital mm-hmm. discipleship, online ministry, and how, how the church as a whole can leverage it and, and really use these tools and these spaces. Um, a friend of the show, Isaac uh, petit Friere says, like, th- these aren't just tools to use. They're spaces to inhabit. And so um, the church as it stands now in its structures and in its forms, like, do you see it as savable? Do you see it as something that is, is the problem or maybe a big chunk of the problem that we're seeing spiritual abuse? Um, We're seeing, uh, you know, atrocities, right? Um, and, and we know, we know that there are good people, good churches, good pastors. Um, but the truth is it's, it's, it's numbingly overwhelming how often we do see bad examples. Uh, and so just curious, like, yeah, like what, do, what do you see? Like, what are your thoughts on, cause one of the questions that is at the helm of, of church moving forward and moving towards something, right is the church as it is, is no longer viable. It's no longer a viable option. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I'd go back to the first century when Paul was planting churches and he would probably say the same thing. Like he was saying the same thing to the Corinthians. Like, this is not how it's supposed to be. Like this is, I mean, and that's that immediately when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, that was the immediate truth after that fact. This is not how it's supposed to be. So I think we will constantly, no matter the context and no matter how much we'll, we'll fix it, I think we can move forward toward wholeness and toward like greater integration with God, um, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Like we could be greater aligned with that, but we will never be, and that's a, that's a hard reality for me to live with is the fact that we will never be fully whole because I want that wholeness so bad, but I will never be fully whole as a human being this side of eternity, but I can be faithful in my pursuit of wholeness and of fostering environments that show people, yes, it hurts to feel broken right now, but let's walk toward wholeness together. And the person of wholeness is who we're walking toward, but yes, the church, I, I think we're dealing what what Paul saw in in what Paul saw in First Corinthians was the church falling falling apart in his context. I think what we're seeing today is the church falling apart in our own context. And so uh, it's so funny. I was I mean there was a clip a while back about like you know the church has always been a mess, and I'm like yes I agree. I'm just saying that when we've identified the aspects of what it, how messy it is, and it's actually really remi- like there's a remedy for it, then let's like use the remedy. Like you don't just get a snake bite and like let the venom course through you. If you have anti-venom on the table next to you, like use the anti-venom, like use the antidote. And so it, the first step is like actually naming what, what is making this messy and naming like what medicine do we need? And do we have that medicine available to us? To some degree, no, like we don't have the medicine of wholeness available to us right now. 
to make us pure, but we do have some things to point to, to like get us there. And I think naming what is happening in the church and acknowledging instead of like what we're doing is hiding it. I mean, we see that through all of these reports, any, any example, there's any number of reports and other podcasts of what's being hidden within the American church. I'm saying, let's stop acting like Adam and Eve post um, fruit and let's start acting like the church and the people we were supposed to be before the fall happened. Um, let's stop it. I think the hiding behavior is, is a, a huge problem. And yeah, I think that there are certain systems and organizational structures that actually aren't helpful um, in the church planting movement that I was a part of. I really do believe in church planting. I want people to hear me say that. Like, I'm actually really for that work. And I think it's such a noble and like, there's so much honor and grace in someone who takes up that mantle because it is a crap job in the middle of this sort of like socio-religious climate. It really is. It's not an easy job. So I want to acknowledge that. I think the system that I came out of and the network that I came out of is set to fail and they don't know it. They just think it's really cool because it's leading to some growth, but I think it's actually overburdening everyone, even the pastors. And so when the pastors feel overburdened, they start justifying their behavior. Well, to get this thing to happen, I have to start using these people in this way. And that's when things get icky. And then someone, you know, raises their hand and says, you're mistreating me. And he's like, well, my job's really hard. And I'm like, well, the system's broken. Like we need to make the system different to where it's a grace to serve and to acknowledge, like we need rest. We need to acknowledge our limitations. But yes, I do think that there are some um, adjustments to the machine that we can make to make it less about the machine and more about the relationship. Um, But I will say like, yeah, I think we have our own particular contextual mess right now. And I think it starts with naming it and it starts with like stopping the behavior and the cover-up behaviors. Like we need to start addressing that and just seeing people in their, their belovedness, both those who have been wounded and those who are the perpetrators and the wounders. Everyone is beloved and everyone bears the Imago Day. And I want to be for the healing of everyone. Um, and that's, it, that is a longer conversation. And I, you know, Hector, Sarah, I don't, I don't think it'll happen in my lifetime, but I want, I want to know that whenever I leave this earth, I've done what I could to contribute to a solution. And I, I've done what I could to offer grace and hope to people. Um, and by God's grace, I hope to see it in my lifetime. Oh my gosh. Am I about to cry? I think I'm about to cry. (laughs) Amen. I mean, that is, there are definitely things that like, I feel like for, I can think of many people who have that vision of the healthy healed church and who have like just a piece of the puzzle to, and and a step to do a task that God has given them. Um, and you know, I, I do, I hope just like you, that I get to see, I get to see the restoration. Like my heart grieves, not, um, my heart grieves anytime that I hear about the gospel, the name of Jesus being used to mistreat someone. Oh yeah. And, and I might like, it definitely makes me mad. It definitely makes me mad, but it also makes me wish for the, for the restoration of the person who 
uses the gospel to wield power and control and to do harm. Like I, I heard over that, like, I I don't want to say this as a comparative statement, but like there are people who have a very, who are just naturally very evangelistic. And so like when they look out in the world and they see the people who don't know Jesus yet, like their heart just tears. My heart just tears when I see the people of God not getting the gospel and using the gospel and using the name of Christ in a way that says, I don't know that you know him. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It, the number of stories, and and this was my story, like how am I supposed to approach my Bible after um, hearing the pastor who I worked under preach on, you know, I've said this in other places, beautiful things like grace and truth and forgiveness and reconciliation only to see the conflict that he stirred up throughout the work week. It was, it was hard to remedy that and understand like, this is the pastor that I've been given. And this is the person that I'm to submit to, but I don't know if he's submitting to God or just using God's words against us. And that's what I thought. That's, I thought, I think it was the latter. He was using God's words against his people. And I, that really, it messed with me for a really long time. So I can't even read the same versions of the Bible anymore. It's just too, too hard. And so I had to find a different entry point. Like our, our particular denomination really, um, took some digs at like the message translation. And now that is a, that was a translation that brought me back home that actually got gave me a taste of home again. And so the, the number of stories where people are like, I don't know how to engage anymore because I just can't see how God was not a part of the abuse. And I was like, I get it. I get it. And I think it's going to take time and I get it so much that I'm, I keep talking about it because I, I want them to know that is not the Jesus that I see in the gospels. He went near to wounded and hurting people who were often ostracized by those in religious or governmental power. Like he went to the ostracized and healed them. Now he did also go to those in power and he was ready to go toe to toe with them um, and flip a few tables. But like he, he engaged with both camps, but he never ostracized people and said, you can just get out. He never said that, but we so often just were like, well, you didn't fall in line. So I guess we've got to excommunicate you. This is awful. It's awful. Um, and whenever, oh gosh, this is another, another tangent I'll go on. Whenever I start to see pastors, a part of planting networks, use statistics about unchurched or de-churched people, they'll say, well, it looks like we've got a decline in how many people are actually going to church now. And this is a real opportunity for us in our network to reach these people. And I'm like, well, first of all, why did they leave? Because I think they might, I think the abuse conversation and the religious trauma conversation, I think these are the reasons why they're leaving. So don't use their leaving as another statistic to somehow garner more church planting dollars. You need to care for them first. If you care for them, those people will come back. That's all we, that's all Jesus did was care for people. He didn't go on a fundraising missions. He just cared for people. Um, and yeah, it's, oh gosh, it is a, it is a larger conversation than I think anyone is going to fix, but I'm always glad to meet with more people who are willing to engage the conversation and contribute to something more beautiful and more good and true in the future. 
I, I think I've kept having this vision in my head of like, here's a church and a, and a bomb has just been dropped on it. Right. And I think when, when you look at the picture of what's going on in the church and our culture right now, it's like a bomb has been dropped. And there are people who are just like, we're just going to go and sit in the rubble and be like, isn't this exactly what it always has been? There's been no change. And we're just going to continue on like this church has, like, there has been nothing that's happened. Um, and then I think about like, there are, there are people who are working in the rubble. And then there are people who are working in the, in the blast zone. Like they've mm-hmm. gone out and they found the things that are the people who were hurt by the explosion, you know? And, um, and I think about the, the, the people out in the blast zone. And I think about like, um, the wilderness forum, right. And so you, you've kind of got the people in the blast zone. Yeah. 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 And so like, here's, I I hear you say, talk about the time that you had to transition afterwards and, and the time that it took to heal and to get back into being okay with reading the Bible. Like you go out, um, with this message that like, it was like, it was this man or this system or the, or this person, I should say, it was this person or this system that, that hurt you. And Jesus doesn't want you to be hurt. Like that this system or this person was an abusive or, or a neglectful person or system, but Jesus is not abusive or neglectful. And he doesn't want that for you. And do you, do you find like people have a hard time with that message who've already made the move to leave the church or, or are they still hungry? Are they still open to the idea that, that Jesus is kind and that Jesus wants them to be well-treated? I think there's a spectrum. I think there are people that just want to walk away and I'm not here to change anyone's minds. I'm just here to be someone who listens. And so the, I, if someone's dead set on leaving, I let them know that that's the Jesus that I, I, the the Jesus they saw is not the Jesus I know, Um, but I don't try to change anyone's mind. Um, There are some people who follow me and engage with me and who send me messages who do want to know, like, how do I, how do I find my way back? And I'll tell them, I think you grieve for a while. You just grieve. Um, But Yes, in the wilderness forum, there's a, any spectrum of people, and it's a very small community, and it's a free community. It was something that I could offer, but the uh, the idea was to create a space where people could kind of wrestle through these things together. And I I never wanted to be the figurehead of this movement. I wanted them to find and meet one another. Well, um, are you ready for the two questions, Hector, or not yet? I I think already. Uh, tonight, that was my lock. We got new locks in our house, and they're aggressively loud. <laughs> uh, uh, well, so I was just going to ask if uh, if you had anything else that you wanted to share before we move on to our, our closing questions. No, I don't think so. Okay. Just hit me with them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so they're, they're, these last two questions are questions that, that we like to ask every guest. Um, and they're meant as a way for, for us here in this conversation as we're talking about um, highs and lows, um, but also for our listeners to see that, you know, one of the things we like to say is we're not experts at this social ministry thing, um, which means we're going to make mistakes, but it also means we're going to see good things come as well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So we just want to share those stories as, as stories of hope, as stories of, uh, yeah, just sharing, sharing honestly. So can you tell us the time in your work, whether, uh, and really I, I think more geared toward this online wilderness forum where you're trying to minister, trying to, you know, do the work that you believe, right? Like this is what God has called me to or opened up and it just didn't go well. Oh yeah. It didn't work the way that you, you anticipated it. Yeah. I think a lot of those times when it goes a little South, it's always a boundary issue. Normally there's some sort of boundary issue and, or there's some sort of mixed up expectation. Our expectations were not aligned in something. And so that um, is really tricky to deal with. And not only that, but we're also talking about so spiritual abuse or abuse in the church. That's what happened. Um, what many of us are left with is spiritual or religious trauma. Like we're having to navigate what that looks like. And trauma comes with any number of responses. You react. Sometimes you don't slow down enough to think about the way forward, a healthy way forward. And so when you get a lot of people together who react and interact with one another, it can be hard. It can be really hard. And it can you can realize, I need to have a boundary up. I need to own whatever I need to own. And I know that my reactions and my unhelpful ways of processing or my unhelpful feedback probably came from a place where I wasn't healed. It came from a wound that was still bleeding, bleeding rather than a wound that was healed already. And so, yeah, it's really tricky and really hard. I will say, I, I think it's always going to be tricky and hard. I think no matter um, how people engage in any sort of ministry that is focused through some sort of social media medium, um, it's going to always be hard. I think the an antidote to that is to be humble and to be peaceable and to contribute to a peaceable way forward. Mm. Um, but it, it starts with meekness and humility. And so if I ever need to own something, I am quick to own. Like, I will just say, I'm so sorry. I, I let me know how to fix it. Tell me how I can fix it. And we can try to pave a path forward together. And so if things ever go south, I hope that I invite um, others into, well, let's, let's figure out how to do this differently in the future. Let's repent and turn away from this instance and turn away or turn toward a better instance. So yeah, that, I think that is, that is the way forward. I did think of, a, of another question. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> before, before we come, cause we never want to uh, end on a downer. So we always ask about a time it went well or, um, but if you have somebody who is like, I have left a, in the past, I've left a very unhealthy work environment and I like, thank the Lord work at a healthy church. It's not a perfect church, but it is a trying church. You know, it's a church that's trying to do well. And so where we have moments like any place does of conflict um, or of miscommunication or whatever, I have, I have a history of trust where I'm at that conversations can happen and changes can be made and people will be heard. I have that where I work and I understand that that is a real privilege. But in those, those moments where, where miscommunications happen or 
frustrations are there and you have to evaluate is what, am I in the middle of an unhealthy system or am I in the middle of a crappy moment? Um, and so you talked earlier about, um, finding a wise friend to talk to. Yeah. Um, where, if you are, if, if you're someone who's listening to this and all of your wise friends seem to be also at your church in the same system, like where else can a person find that wisdom? Oh, it, I, oh my gosh. I felt like I had to, I I mean, I'll tell you what I had to do. I felt like mine was like a dumpster diving mission because I was like, well, how do I not only find someone, but like also evaluate how much trust I have in them? Um, Because trust is horrifically broken across the board when instances like this have happened. And I will say like the people that I would normally go to with questions about like for wisdom with X, Y, and Z, they were a part of the tribe that got rid of me. And so there was actually one person uh, who wasn't on staff with me, but he, he's, he remains a friend and he's kind of been a sounding board for me. So I would rely on him sometimes, but also like, I I'm, this is not, I don't know if I actually like recommend this, but it's what happened. I just paid attention to who the movers and shakers were on social media. And it's actually one guy I've re- I, we connected. I don't remember how we connected. I think it was through um, realizing that we were both in the same area and he was talking about food in the Houston area. But Steve Besner was a guy that I had connected with. And I said, I think you, I, he, he actually was on the board or is on the board of a, a planting network and not, not a, um, not one that I think is doing poor work, but he was on the board of a planting network that I was kind of adjacently a part of. And I was learning more about, and I told him, I was like, I think I, you know, people I know. And so it took a while to build up trust with finding a person that I could speak with. And he, he listened. Um, The best, I mean, there's always going to be miscommunications. I actually just heard from, uh, I follow Heather Thompson day, both on Twitter and Instagram. And she had a real, um, a short video up the other day that said the best communicators are listeners. And Steve listened. He just listened to our story. Uh, another good listener. I mean, this person has actually become a friend is a, a guy named Ryan Ramsey and, um, his wife, KJ Ramsey, they have become friends of mine and only just because they listened to my story and they treated it with kindness they didn't like go off and use my story and like gossip about my story to anyone else. They treated my and honored my story with care. And so finding someone who's willing to listen to you and not judge you and how you're grieving is huge. But that how someone finds that, I mean, people might have, they might have someone right next to them who is a great sounding board um, or they might have to dig. But I I try to be one of those people. And I also try to provide the wilderness forum so that if they can't find those people, there's a small group of us within a private online community that can provide that for some people. But sometimes it's not necessary. Yeah. So we want to hear about a time that it went well, that you were um, using, sharing your experience and having, and building relationships and having these conversations online and, and it went well. And you saw um, God glorified and people restored and hearts healed. Oh my gosh. I feel like I, 
by God's grace, I feel like there's not just one instance, but there's many. Um, and that's really encouraging me. That really is what encourages me. Um, I do the work that I do because other pe- people met me online and they heard me. And so there, I, I get so many direct messages and so many, uh, all sorts of messages across Twitter and Instagram that say like, thank you for sharing your story. I feel less crazy or thank you for sharing your story. I actually think I have a seat at the communion table. Like I, I feel like I still belong even though I feel like I don't belong in my former church. There are so many stories where that's true and that is encouraging. And that is what brings me hope. And, and really like, you know, it's kind of, I have to evaluate every now and then, you know, what's the goal is the goal to publish a book or is the goal to increase my follower count or is the goal to uh, increase the number of people in the wilderness forum? No. Those are actually just opportunities for the real goal. And the real goal is so that people feel heard, loved, and cared for. That's it. And if it happens for one person, I've met the goal. Honestly, by those metrics, I've already met the goal. If for whatever reason, God shut me down tomorrow, I've met the goal and I get to go on to to the next chapter of my life. But by God's grace, I keep, I I have the opportunity to keep doing the work that I'm doing. And so I, I, I wish I could tell you one instance, um, and I, I want to hold their stories in confidence, but I have received so many stories where people just say, I'm not, I, I feel like I'm less crazy just having known you. And I feel like you're a resource that I can lean on. And I want that. I, I, I am trying to honor that opportunity and not only that, but I'm in trying to, I'm trying not to become the figurehead or the crutch that the new crutch that they lean on. I'm trying to empower their discernment so that they can move forward with hope and in their own discernment in the future. And that I I feel like it's already happening. In the, uh, in the aftermath of church hurt, is God still good? Oh, absolutely. Good and beautiful and gentle um, and kind. He is near. He has constantly through, despite every failure and despite every schism through, despite every rupture, he continues to draw near to his people. And not only that, but Jesus knows exactly what we're walking through. He was broken, battered, betrayed, abandoned, abused. He empathizes with everyone far more than I ever could. And he is, he His gentleness and his kindness is the most beautiful and good thing I think I will ever know. And in the aftermath of church hurt, when the church has run its course of its plan and purpose for you, does God still have a plan and purpose for you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's just the next chapter might look a little different. And to approach that opportunity with hope. One of my favorite little uh, gifs or gifs, depending on how people say it on the internet is Bilbo leaving his hobbit hole, um, chasing after uh, the dwarves. And it says, I'm going on an adventure. And I I think that's the opportunity for so many of us. We have an adventure before us. Yeah. 
Good man. That's a good conversation. Um, thank you for your time. Yeah. Thank you yeah. for being willing to talk about it. Yeah. No, this is good. I, it's it's so funny because I don't know. Uh, what I know is we just we finished a series on humor uh, unintentionally, at least to me. Um, and then this this, I think. Mini series of like what it means to be hurt by the church or 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 the, the messiness and the tension of the church. Um, but still on the other side, holding like tightly to the arms of Jesus and, um, and knowing that he's holding tightly to us. Yeah. Um, just knowing and, and exploring and finding the spaces where those conversations are being had. And the, these conversations are, are not being had just so that they can be had, but so, as you were saying, so that the relationships underneath can be cultivated and tended to, and the people can be mm-hmm. fully known and, and loved. Um, I, I'm just, yeah, I'm, Today I'm, I'm grateful for for your work and for this and knowing, knowing that like it's not uh, an easy place to be, uh, you know, in the aftermath of everything that that got you here. And so, yeah, thank you so much for your no, time. No, thank you for having me, and thank you for just giving me an opportunity to share what small amount of wisdom I have. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I also want to just make sure to, to mention, I think the, the graciousness that you, you just, you speak with and you hold, um, is such a, uh, I think, uh, how do I even say this? Just, it is a picture of who God is that God can say the hard things. Um, he can, he can acknowledge and, and okay, here is what reality is, but I want to do so in a way that is gracious and merciful um, and does not destroy the person that is is being directed to. Yeah. Um, and so, thank you so much for for a picture of what it is to to graciously enter into these conversations. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, I think graciousness is the way forward. That's mm-hmm. not to say that sometimes I don't get snarky. Like I, yeah. I no, I, oh yeah. There's enough of that. Um, there's enough of the snark in. I mean, I've told other friends, like I have the ability to hulk out too. And I think there are times where hulking out is righteous. And then there are times where my, my going green is not, not at all righteous. Um, and I need to work through that, um, between me and God. And I need to kind of, uh, let the rage out privately, but there is plenty of snark. I just don't, um, I think the snark doesn't contribute to the conversation because if I get too snarky, if I get too bitter, if I get too um, volatile, then it proves all the other guys right when they say like, look, they're just jealous. Her message isn't true. And my message is true. And I want to protect the truth of my message by handling it with care. Amen. Amen. All right. Sarah, you got anything else? I'm good. Perfect. Hey, thank you all so much for, for tuning in once again to the pocket pulpit. Um, it is so good to be back. Um, just having conversations around ministry and the digital spaces, the technology that, that we've been afforded and, and what a gift that they are. Um, I hope that as you continue to listen, um, that you'll just, you'll be inspired to, to explore yourself 
Hey, if you've got questions, hit us up on Twitter at pocket underscore pulpit. Um, also, the pocket email pocket pulpit pod at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear questions or if you are yourself exploring and, and would love to, to just have a conversation like this. Uh, know that all of the Wilderness Forum and uh, Janai's contact, whatever, uh, Instagram probably is what you'd, you'd want. And so we'll have that in the show notes as well. Um, as well as if you are listening, and I know I know of one listener who is interested in planting a digital church, and we've been able to connect them to the Digital Church Network. And uh, if, if that's you, if you're looking at, at uh, planting churches the digital spaces let us know as well we can get you connected to that um we'll see you next week and we're just so thankful that you would sit down and explore with us um yeah yeah thanks for having me absolutely take care